0: You're listening to The Good GP, the podcast for busy GPs. Hi, podcast listeners. Before we start the next episode,
1: I wanted to invite any listeners from the Perth area to come to our upcoming live episode. On the 26th of March, we'll be recording three episodes at College House Leadable from 6.30pm. During the episodes, we're going to cover workers' compensation issues, assessing and managing snake and spider bites, and managing in-flight emergencies. Attendance is free, but we're asking any attendees to register by following the link on the RACGPWA events page. If you're a follower of The Good GP, we'd really appreciate you coming along and supporting us. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to The Good GP, the educational podcast for busy GPs. My name's Christina and today I'm joined by Dr Nicole White, a GP with a special interest in paediatrics, to discuss ADHD presentations in the primary care setting. Welcome, Nicole, and thanks so much for joining me today.
0: Thanks, Christina. It's great to be here.
1: Uh, Now, Nicole, you work in Brisbane um, and have set up a clinic called GP for Kids where your main focus is um, uh, providing general practice services for pediatrics, um, I'm really interested to know where this passion for pediatrics came from, and I, I guess, what led you to really tailor your general practice into this this audience.
0: I guess, Christina, I've always had an interest in children's health. So my first degree was in physiotherapy, and my first job was at the Royal Children's Hospital in Brisbane as a pediatric physio. So. From there I went to med school and most of my electives were in paediatrics, it's just always been a really big interest of mine. So the natural course for me then was to start paediatrics training which I did, I did a couple of years um, at the Martyr Children's in Brisbane, but I gradually realised that general practice was a better fit for me, I liked the continuity of care I could have for my patients, I liked getting to know families, I liked all of the, the good things that come with being a GP and so. I landed in in general practice and over time, as a young mum myself, I guess I attracted a cohort of of young patients and young children and I just decided I would harness my interest and, and what my patients liked and try and focus my care in that area. So that's how GP for Kids evolved.
1: Excellent and you've got a bit of a like you've done a little bit of extra training as well
0: I think you've done your diploma of children's health I've done my diploma of child health which is great that helps a lot Um, and I've had some involvement at Hummingbird House for a little while which is a palliative care uh, facility for children and I've maintained I've done some work at the children's emergency department a few different things like that to keep uh, keep in touch with with what's happening Excellent.
1: So thank you again for joining me. I think no better person to talk about, you know, um, behavioural presentations in the primary care setting um, than a GP themselves who, who sees this a lot and, and their practice is really um, tailored to this, to this presentation. So thank you. Now, I guess just to start off with, you know, for everyone out there listening, in really simple terms, what What are we talking about with ADHD? What does a diagnosis of ADHD actually make
0: up? I guess there's probably a difference, Christina, between what's the definition of ADHD and, you know, what's the perception of ADHD perhaps. So in the public, I guess the perception of ADHD is that of hyperactive, often naughty children who who are disruptive at school or in families or in social situations. And certainly that is how some kids with ADHD present, but I guess... By definition, it's a little bit more detailed than that. So we know that ADHD is actually a neurodevelopmental condition. Obviously, there are environmental and other factors that play into how it presents clinically, but it is a neurodevelopmental disorder. Um, It is defined by the DSM-5 criteria, which lists different characteristics of hyperactivity, impulsivity, inattention in various combinations but those problems have to have been present for at least six months they have to be seen in more than one setting so the child has to be experiencing functional impairment of their problems across multiple settings such as school and home or childcare and home And as I said, they have to have a significant impact on how they're functioning socially or academically or within their family unit to be considered ADHD. Um, And I suppose there's three different subtypes of ADHD. There's the typical hyperactive form that probably most people would be familiar with. There's an inattentive form, and these are the kids that often go under the radar. They're the quiet children who are just not achieving well at school or not um, meeting their potential. Um, And then there's a combined type which combines both of those two things.
1: And just, I guess, to elaborate on that as well, from an age perspective, is there a, like an age cutoff? I, in, in my general practice, I've had parents that have come in even from early as one or two, you know, and yeah. say, oh, my baby's so hyperactive. You know, do you think they're going to have ADHD? Yeah. You know, what? When, when do you sort of differentiate between sort of normal behavior in those sort of toddler years? you know, as opposed to when you can actually start to consider ADHD? Or is there a no clear cut off? It's sort of grey.
0: Yeah, I think it is grey. I think it is grey. But I think I'd be very reluctant. Well, I, I don't tend to make a diagnosis as such, but I'd be reluctant to put any labels on children of any age, but particularly before school, in, in my own opinion. I think by criteria, they have to have had symptoms present before the age of 12 years. So some kids are presenting quite late, but certainly see I, I see a lot of toddlers with behavioral challenges and you know parents or educators have raised concerns that perhaps this is is ADHD and certainly there may be some features I think most children if you did a checklist would have some features of ADHD but is it enough to warrant a diagnosis and does that diagnosis help that child in any way at that point in their life yeah yeah
1: Great, right, thanks. So moving on from that diagnosis as well, in terms of a practical setting for the GPs out there, in your experience, how are these patients usually presenting to you, you know, in your clinical practice?
0: In my cohort, and I guess I self-select a little bit because people find me because I do this, so it might be a bit different to what what every GP is seeing. But I think there's three different groups that can present. The biggest group that I see are probably children in kindergarten or grade one or two, prep even, who are being sent in by the teachers or the teachers have pulled mum and dad aside and said, look, we're a little bit worried here, you need to go and talk to your GP. Then there's the cohort where the parents themselves are worried, they've been looking things up on the internet, they've had friends tell them, they've you know, had some concerns about their child, so they present looking for help or for a diagnosis. And then there's the group, I guess, that come in for other reasons and you notice their behaviour. You notice that they're climbing on your consult bed, swinging off the rafters, or they're just particularly destructive with the toys and that might lead me then to asking some more questions about behaviour and, and development and looking, looking for things myself. But I would say the biggest group is that group that are sent in to me by educators.
1: Yeah, and that last group that you're talking about is is a challenging group, isn't it? Especially if mum or dad really aren't you know Absolutely. clued on to that at all and you can start to see some warning signs how do you actually bring that up mm. um, in a non-judgmental and open way that doesn't get the parent offside as
0: yeah, as I work. guess it can be very tricky and just inquiring about you know how they manage and do they have any challenges at home and, and you know how does this particular child go in different social settings and yeah, you know, I certainly wouldn't jump to to say does your child have ADHD but I would make some gentle inquiries about that. Various aspects. To see yeah, if I just would pick yeah. up on
1: anything. Yeah. Just those subtle questioning. Yeah. yeah, excellent. So, talking then about questioning, you know, what features? You know, when it comes to history and examination, should we be asking as GPs to try and help to clarify if there is a problem? You know, a lot, for a lot of us as the GP, we're not making the diagnosis, but I guess in terms of thinking, then, well, does this need to go further, or you know, can I be reassuring, or can I be do, doing something else? you know what sort of things are you asking mum and dad or checking for
0: i guess in the first instance like anything we do you need to put this in the context of the biopsychosocial model and so we need to think about the child what environment are they in what's their home environment what's their school or kindergarten environment what other factors might be affecting this child and their behavior so i always start with a really thorough general history and i want to know everything about child, what they were like as a baby, what the developmental milestones were like, have they had any engagement with allied health professionals in the past, what's their general health like, do they sleep well, do they eat and drink well, are they constipated, are there any other factors that could be playing into their behaviour here, what's the family situation, is there parental discord, has there been a separation, is there a new baby in the family, you know, all of these things that can contribute to a child's behaviour. Is there a family history of learning difficulties or trouble at school? Often when you ask parents what they were like at school, they'll say, oh yes, I was always in trouble or I had had difficulty with my learning. So that's really interesting as well. Um, And then I guess it's about honing in on what are the problematic behaviours, what do the parents observe at home, what have the teachers reported, actually nutting out what is it that this child is having difficulty with. And also I think it's important to look at what the child is good at, so picking up on what are their strengths as well as what are they struggling with, what are they good at. And from there I guess then looking for that DSM criteria of how long has this been a problem how much of a problem is it for this child in this family and is it occurring in multiple settings. So there's lots of times when the child's an angel at school but is really problematic for for the parents at home and sometimes that then becomes about the factors in the home environment that that may be at play there. So um, looking for, for what the troubles are and where they're happening and what other factors might be contributing I think is really important.
1: Yeah, excellent. And so what else, you know, I guess when we're doing that history and examination as the GP, we're thinking about our differentials. What other conditions are you thinking about in terms of maybe um, differentials or comorbid conditions that might go along with ADHD?
0: Yeah, I guess further to that, taking history, obviously you want to monitor the child's growth as well, make sure there's nothing going on there. And hearing and vision is very important. So that may be one comorbidity if the child does have any hearing or vision troubles. The big ones I guess that I see, certainly quite frequently, iron deficiency, anemia, and there's good good suggestion out there that that does impact on Poor behavior in children whether whether the child's iron deficient or actually anemic obviously if they're anemic it's a bigger problem but even those with iron deficiency that certainly can affect their behavior so as difficult as it is to do blood tests in this group i i often do and often do supplement them with iron taking a sleep history so be surprised by the number of children who present with with sleep disorder who may have a degree of sleep apnea so i think that's worth exploring and the other big one is constipation as i mentioned earlier so a lot of kids are constipated and you know they've got tummy pain they don't feel well they don't behave well so those are some of the things that can contribute to behavioral issues they may not be causative but i guess you want to make sure the child's as well and healthy as they can be before assessing their behavior And then there's other mental health things um, that often can be misdiagnosed or can coexist with ADHD, things like anxiety. So we may be seeing externalising behaviours in a child who's very anxious. Autistic spectrum disorder, certainly there's a lot of crossover there with some higher functioning autistic children and, and ADHD. Past history of trauma is a big one to think about as well and that's not always apparent but obviously something we should consider in children with any any um, behavioural or mental health conditions. And then depression I guess is something we don't see often in young children but again something that needs to be considered.
1: Yeah thanks, such a thorough overview so I appreciate that. When it comes to assessments, you know we talked about history and examination. As a GP, are there any formal, more formalised assessments that you might instigate to try and, you know, elicit and to try and help that diagnosis down the track? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, there are a lot of things out there. The one that I like to use personally is the Vanderbilt scale. And I like that because I can print off a copy for the parents. I can print off a copy for them to give to the teacher. Uh, they can go away and do those and then come back to me and it provides a good framework for discussion about different things but it also can provide some clarity around some of the features of ADHD and whether or not this child may fit into that diagnostic criteria so i generally use that there are others there's the child behavior checklist there's the Connors scale and a a host of others that can be used Mm -hmm. and they can be although not diagnostic in general practice they can be quite useful just to help decide whether you need to be referring this child then for further assessment or whether you can monitor things and just manage it in general practice
1: yeah okay and i guess you know I mentioned before that generally it's not the GP that's making that um, diagnosis of ADHD and you know often we're relying on our you know pediatric or psychiatry psychologist colleagues to formalize that diagnosis and you know you've given us a really thorough sort of starting point as what we can do as the GP to get that all happening I guess what can we do in the meantime whilst we're waiting for that you know specialist review um, with these patients you
0: know in turn from a management perspective is is there anything that we can be doing to help families? Yeah, I think there's lots of things we can do, Christina. I think a lot of GPs are quite uncertain about how to manage this and they are very quick to refer children on, and not all of these children need to be referred. In many situations, the, I think the diagnosis is not necessarily imperative. You know, if these children have mild features of ADHD and they're functioning okay and their parents are aware of the, the difficulties and we're focusing on the difficulties to try to get them some help, and that's that strengths and difficulties kind of approach, then we can involve some allied health in the community. We can involve a behavioural psychologist through a mental health care plan. We can be trying a few things and then watching to see how these kids go, and it's really important to follow up and review them every couple of months to see if things are getting improving or getting worse, what other challenges are coming up. So I don't think there needs to be an immediate diagnosis, and... I think there's um, a good scope to try some things while the child's waiting to be seen by the paediatrician because sometimes whether or not things have helped can be really relevant by the time they get to the paediatrician as well. And then I suppose there's the optimisation of their general health as we talked about before, so looking at their diet and their sleep and are they getting enough exercise and are they spending too much time on screens and what does the parenting structure look like? So sending parents off to look at Triple P programs or Circle of Security parenting programs that can help with their parenting framework can be really useful as well. And I think parents find it really helpful just to to feel listened to and to hear that someone's validated the things that they're worried about and that someone's keeping an eye on this. And parents are often fearful of a diagnosis of ADHD and and having that label applied to their child. So I think giving them some reassurance that, that really this is about finding out what their child's struggling with and how we can help their child to achieve their best potential and enjoy their life on their way through, you know, not be really struggling with the the things that they struggle with quite so much. So on that note as well, I guess it's really important to try to bolster their self-esteem as much as they can because these are often the kids that find things difficult or are getting in trouble all the time or are having trouble with their friendships, which leads to a significant impact negatively on their self-esteem. So finding things that they are good at and harnessing those and giving them lots of praise when they do things well. So these type of coaching things for parents, I think are really important in this time.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's such a great approach and I love the way you put that focus onto okay, what are the problems and how can we actually work together to find some solutions and strategies to help with that, rather than just the focus being on the diagnosis that's itself, right. Yeah, um, which yeah. I think is really helpful because as a you know gp i think I used to be a bit scared of this diagnosis, you know, and, you know, just think that's the pediatrician's territory. And, you know, if the parent was raised any concern, it's just send them off. And it actually was speaking to you quite a while ago. And you said that to me, you know, it's about finding what are the problems. And then there's plenty of things you can actually do to help that family, you know, in finding strategies to help with that. And That was a really, a real light bulb moment for me in my practice. So I hope that's helpful for others listening today as well. Just finally, I guess, just to finish off, Any resources for the GPs that are out there and they're listening and they're interested, they want to learn more. Any resources you'd recommend for them to look at and things they could even potentially give to their patients as well.
0: Yeah, lots of different resources Christina. I know um, here in Queensland people have access to Project ECHO through the Children's Health Queensland which runs a series on ADHD and that's a, a great series of multidisciplinary input which is really valuable. Similarly, there's uh, some good health pathways that have been written on ADHD, which might be uh, worth a look if people can access those. There's some guidelines, NHMRC guidelines are quite comprehensive with lots of information about ADHD. Uh, And I find the Raising Children Network also quite useful, even though it's targeted at consumers. I think it has a good level of information that GPs might find useful as well.
1: That's great. Thank you, Nicole, again for your time today and for going through all of this. I think it's a really valuable topic for GP, something that we commonly see. Um, it's good to just be able to listen to your insights, you know, from such a, a vast experience that you've had on this area. So thank you so much.
0: Thanks, Christina. It's been great to, to have a chat.